recording? I think it's recording. Yeah, it's recording. Okay. Okay. Well, sh should we get started? Oh yeah, in 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 all senses of the word, I think. So uh, yeah, welcome to this episode of Over Drinks. Uh, I'm joined here by uh, Andrew Cody and Garrett Schumann, and um, yeah, I'm I'm Andrew Martin Smith, and I think this is the first lexical tones over drinks that rob mcclure has not been on that's crazy we have to drink know, in his right? honor you have to drink that, extra that, for him that jibes with my understanding of the <laughs> podcast, so. Ooh, well hold on hold on i have to make my introduction oh please there we go that that was a good one <laughs> this is a um so all of my beer tonight is from local breweries to me here in Boone, North Carolina, where I'm teaching uh, at Appalachian State University. Uh, what I just opened is an IPA called Palette Painter by Boonshine Brewing Company, which is one of hmm. the better breweries in town. One nice. of like four. So I'm going to put that in a glass and let someone else talk. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I'm excited. I'm Andrew Cody, and I am also drinking a local beer. Uh, this is from Old Ox, uh, which is from Ashburn, Virginia, just about you know eight miles down the road. Uh, and I'm drinking the Oxorcist Two, which is a uh, uh, Imperial Pumpkin Ale. And I wanted to go with something flavorful to match our uh, our, our sponsor here, Mr. Andrew Martin Smith. Who, Andrew, tell us what you're drinking tonight. I any surprise? Anything new tonight? Oh, it's absolutely not. We've been doing too many over drinks episodes, so I have all of this Mike's hard black cherry lemonade, like just hanging out in my fridge. So Mike and I are going to be here for another podcast. Yeah, I think we're almost at sponsorship level at this point now. I think like we need to do a thirty second read on Mike's hard uh, black cherry or raspberry or whatever dark colored uh, drink you've got there. It's a, it's a wonderful purple or maybe fuchsia. I don't know what, what color this is. It, it's um, it's not natural. That's what. <laughs> well, color it is. I'm hey. <laughs> I love it. So now, uh, this particular overdrinks, Andrew. I think was this. Did you offer up this idea? I did. Yes, and um, it basically sparked from uh, a composition forum presentation I gave um, on Monday. And as many things go, uh, you know, you come in with a presentation topic, which is looking at some music that I have been writing. And, of course, it moves into a completely different area right away. And that area... Organically. Very yes, organically. Very organically. And uh, that came from a couple of undergraduate students, um, some of which who are upperclassmen now. And we're at that lovely time in the year where people have been applying, are interviewing, and looking at graduate programs, specifically graduate programs in music composition. And so a lot of the questions that were coming out were asking about, you know, is, is this a good idea, going to graduate school? Or if I do, um, where should I go or what should I look at? And uh, so I thought tonight that would be a really interesting topic for us to dive into. And maybe we could each offer up our own paths through higher education, um, talk about uh, what was worth it, what was not, um, and maybe offer some advice to my students as well as hopefully your students and our listeners who also might have some very strong opinions on whether or not uh, their higher education, be it music composition or maybe something different. Uh, and, you know, if they were to do it again differently, or maybe they would do it the same, what that might be. 
So uh, maybe a great way to start would be to have everybody kind of introduce a little bit of what their education background was, um, whether or not maybe you took some time off in between or, um, you know, basically what your path through the quote unquote system might have been. Yeah, man, this is this is kind of a loaded question too, especially after a few beverages, perhaps. But uh, but Garrett, did you want to take that that question first? Yeah, I'll get started. Um, also, because I don't think I actually introduced myself, I just opened my beer. <laughs> also, with two Andrews on the podcast, this is going to get real confusing very quick. I love. Well, it. I I will refer to Andrew Smith exclusively as Bad Beer Andy. <laughs> okay, I, that's that's fair. That's how we'll solve the problem. Okay, I love it. So. My, um, I have like the most uninteresting experience with, or educational background. I went all the way through, um, without any time off. I went to pretty well-known conservatories. So I did my undergrad at Rice University. The Shepherd School is, 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 you know, people know about it. I didn't know about it when I was, um, applying to schools, but, that's a, it, an unknown school. And then I went to Michigan for my master's and my doctorate, uh, which is in, you know, another pretty well-known school. Um, and so yeah, I have like... Just, I mean, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously not trying to brag because I don't think... I think... there. I, I think the reputation is is a fiction in a lot of ways and and I've taught since I finished my doctorate I've taught at re- regional state universities uh in two states I have a little private catholic school that's barely solvent and at Michigan and I think that the the gulf between students at you know these schools you know one is really well known the other ones are regionally important and then the other one is like not known at all is not as wide as these schools might want you to think Mm. and so and so I think that um I think that reputation is something to be really careful about and I had positive experiences everywhere I went um but I think that um you know it's important to really think from my experience because I've had Andrew this is Andrew Cody not bad beer Andy Mm -hmm. I've 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 faced the same questions from composition students and the thing that I tell them is like well I I won't get into everything but I think that it's the the experience a student has really re- can rest on the student in a lot of ways mm-hmm. absolutely um, and so th- and so the school is it's important it is important in in certain respects but it's really up to you to make the most out of it oh you know that's that's uh, that touches on something that I feel very strongly about. Um, and, and obviously we don't want to unpack everything all at once here, especially since we're trying to, to kind of just give a, a backstory on our, our own experiences. But, uh, but yeah, hands down, I think um, even in the, the classes of students that we matriculated with, I mean, we all didn't get the same piece of paper. It's nice to think that that you know well we all got the same piece of paper but we didn't get the same degree that's that's mm-hmm. probably more fair to say yeah um, you know that that piece of paper is nice but the education behind it is very much an individual experience and so from from my perspective I'm entirely state educated 
uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a product of the public school system from day one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I went to the state university of New York at Fredonia where I currently am on faculty, uh, for my undergraduate degree. It took me five years. Award winning faculty. Oh, that's right. Award winning. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, they, they keep rolling out the PR for that in stages. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that they will um, symmetrically increase your pay, too. Uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, when, when you multiply things by zero, the symmetry in that is quite nice. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll include, for those of you who don't know about Andrew's prestigious award at uh, Fredonia, we'll, we'll have a link in the, in the bio so you can check out his accolades. Yeah. And oh, also oh, Dope Headshot, oh also that. Yeah, I enjoy my my pinstripe suit. By the way, that that suit I've had since high school, uh, and I actually wore that. It was a prop. Really? Uh, that was the suit I wore when I played Sky Masterson in Guys and Dolls. Oh, nice, awesome. So a little little kind of hidden Easter egg there. But I'm a little uh, mad at you that you can fit into a suit you wore when you were in high school. <laughs> it's it's getting it's getting more difficult, but I'm I'm still I'm gonna rock it as long as I can. Absolutely, man. <laughs> so, S- sorry to interrupt. Yeah, tell us more oh, about no, the state oh, no. the state schools. Yeah, so so Fredonia was my undergrad, and uh, and I spent five years there getting two degrees, uh, a degree in composition and a degree in performance. So I was a clarinet player. Uh, originally, I started as a double major in music education and composition and realized that kind of my passion uh, – didn't really lie in the in the track that was setting me up to teach high school uh, in the state of New York specifically with all the various certifications and things. I really felt that I wanted to know more about music before I was necessarily stamped grade A beef and, and certified to teach the wee ones, uh, as I like to say and tell my students. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to know more about the musical art itself, and so I just felt like getting a, a degree in performance and composition would be a, a way of kind of solidifying my technique in my craft. And then that all took me to Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio, um, and stayed through the master's degree and then five more years on top of that to, to finish the DMA in contemporary music. So um, there, there are reputations associated with these schools, but certainly the reputation is not the same as if I were to have gone to, let's say, Boston Conservatory. Uh, which was an option, you know, do I want to go to Boston and maybe get swallowed alive by that, that atmosphere? Uh, I mean, I was, I was a kid from the country in upstate New York. That's uh, kind of a daunting experience. Or do I kind of um, blaze a trail following Lake Erie? <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. So that's my, that's my story. How about you, Andrew? Uh, so yeah, so I'm actually also a product of the state schools. Um, not all public school. I went to Catholic school for pre-K and kindergarten. So you know, mm. that was basically my uh, my private education. But yeah, basically, se- yep. yeah, and sec- I think first grade too. Um, yeah, so I-, I got away from the Catholic nuns around uh, second grade, and since then uh, I was basically yeah public you, schools. You broke free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so I went to the University of New Hampshire for my undergraduate, um, and while I was there, I studied music education. Um, I had an interest in composition, but music was still really new to me. Um, I was kind of a rock and roll guy coming out of high school. I thought that that was, that was the path I was going to go. I was in a band, and I was 
thinking maybe I'd drop out freshman year um, and, you know, we were going to hit the road and obviously things change. Uh, and I'm grateful because I had a lot of um, individual mentors, which uh, later would be my composition teachers. And uh, I had one composition teacher who's a guy named Andrew Boysen Jr., who's a, a concert band composer and uh, was encouraging me to write for wind ensemble. And I loved it because I was you know, going to student teach to be a high school band director. I was working uh, basically to that trajectory, and that's what I really love. But I fell in love with um, music composition. And so for my master's degree, um, like Garrett, I actually went straight from my undergraduate to my master's to then my doctorate. I went to Central Michigan University uh, because there was another band composer there, a guy named David Gillingham. Um, and I promise I'm not name dropping. I'm going to draw a thread about why I chose these schools because of the individuals uh, a little later. Love threads. Yeah. Love so anyway, so um, my undergraduate teacher was was friends with Dr. Gillingham, and um, that helped me become you know connected with him and and move out to the Midwest. And then after two years there, same thing, connected to another band composer at George Mason University uh, here in Fairfax, Virginia. Studied with a guy named Mark Camphouse, who's again a band name, and. Uh, uh, ever since graduating, I've stayed here and stayed on the faculty, uh, and it kind of went from one to another, but the one thread that kept with it as well was um, that I was teaching, so I had a kind of a unique uh, experience where in my master's degree, um, during the second semester after taking a theory pedagogy course, I was uh, put in front of my own class, so I had an ear training class where I was the instructor on record. There were no doctoral students there, so uh, we were kind of the top uh you know, tier for in terms of, you know, graduate students. And then that turned into two classes, which I had for my second year of my master's. And then I got to run a composition forum and we had formed a contemporary music ensemble the, the year before. And so I got to run that. And so it, it became into what then allowed me to get a teaching assistantship at George Mason, which is then kind of turned into my teaching career there. Um, so the, the thread has been teaching and, and I've I've enjoyed composing and I love composing and, you know, that's a big focus of mine. But uh, the teaching aspect of it has been kind of what has continued and allowed me to bounce from higher ed institution to higher ed institution. Hmm. So so here's the here's the million dollar question. When when a student comes to you and and asks the question, you know, should I should I grad school to grad school or not to grad school? Um, what's the first thing that we all kind of consider as as we prepare to give our answer? Well, I um, I always ask because I've I've been asked this question a couple times by students. Yeah, just a few, right? <laughs> I I ask, um, what do you want to do? Mm. And because I think it's really important for student. I mean, something I emphasize with my composition students when they're starting a piece is like what are you trying to do with this piece so that they have expectations and those can change but they're not like um, disappointed by ambiguous things that they don't understand like going into the process of the piece they're like oh this is what I'm trying to do and then when that doesn't happen you have something concrete to compare it to right. I take the same approach with you know what they want to do in their f future because you know certain schools can provide those can help meet those expectations differently and if they don't really think about what they want they're way more likely to end up going somewhere not really knowing what they want to get out of it and then be disappointed and bitter about it and that's the last thing that I want to have happen 
Yeah, that's de- that's definitely true. And I think all of us have, you know, stories that we probably won't mention on the air, uh, but but of colleagues who who fit into that category of being slightly jaded by the experience. Yeah, like people who are in their doctorates who are jaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's sad because um, it gets it only gets harder once you're done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't slow down. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's Andrew, I think it's interesting um that you mentioned specific people who you were going to work with. Cause that was very different from me and c- kind of not the approach I've taken with my students. I don't know if you recommend your students to do the same thing. So I'm curious, like how did you evaluate those relationships before you dove into the attending the program well i think the the biggest reality that i faced was i actually kind of depended on them to be honest with you um i was still Mm. so new in my craft that it wasn't one of those things where um you know i i was i i felt entirely confident in my portfolio but i was very grateful that especially at central michigan when i was first coming out of my undergraduate that um the comp faculty took that in uh it under into some sort of understanding where they saw the potential and and maybe that happens at higher ed institutions as well. Um, And honestly, I just feel really lucky because the one thing I will say that though I followed because of individual teachers, uh, one thing I recommend for people who are looking for a graduate program specifically in composition is to find people who, yes, maybe you love their music and you want to write like them, but they're also on a faculty with composers who write completely different than them. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's variety. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a key indicator. If I think if you see a program, which I don't think there are that many anymore where everybody is kind of the same sort of uh, school of thought or like that we're going to specialize in X and we, you're going to come out and you're going to be the next Jim Schweringen. Like, no, I don't think that's, that's the program you're going to find anymore. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I think that's really important. And actually like, that's why I loved when I went to um, central Michigan, I studied with um, obviously Dr. Gillingham, uh, but I also studied with Jay Batsner uh, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. they're totally on opposite ends of the spectrum. And uh, you know, in many ways I, I've learned, uh, you know, equally from, from each of them, both, the craft of composition, but also just being asked the right questions. Um, and so talking strictly about the educational path, uh, I was really kind of dependent on that, especially from the master's. And then George Mason ended up being the right fit, um, again, just because of uh, how financially things ended up shaking out with um, uh, doctoral programs, which is, is a huge a big button issue I want uh, us to talk about oh. as well. I, I mean, when we get I, to I was going like to say... The, that was like the first thing I thought of. I think... Um, Especially yeah. for a doctorate, don't pay for a doctoral degree. Oh, amen. Yeah. If you, do yeah. not pay for a doctoral degree. I would say even if you can, don't pay for a master's. Like, do not go. Try not to. You should not have to accrue like enormous student loan debt to get a meaningful master's degree in composition. And I'm not saying like you should be good enough to get a scholarship. I'm saying there are programs that are close enough in quality to like a place that's not going to give you a scholarship that might give you money. Right. Um, and, and it's more important to like not have to go into massive debt for a two year degree that doesn't, isn't going to like set your career most likely um, to like maybe not go to the school that uh, you had your hopes um, pinned to or something like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Andrew, you look like you're ready to, to jump on this sort of topic. Shall we move into the, the financial realm, or do you care to offer maybe more about the personal relationship that you have with teachers as well? Well, I mean, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned two of my, my favorite Fs, um, uh, which is fit and finance, right? So, so it, it, touching on fit briefly, I mean, this is this notion of um, both you and Garrett have talked about, well, okay, so what are, what are your goals? Like, because obviously certain types of programs are going to set you up for certain types of career paths differently. I don't want to necessarily say n- nothing is a sure thing no matter where you go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of this is very much dependent on the individual and the individual skills that you learn and hone and then are able to showcase upon graduation, right? Because um, in the end, you know, it's uh, it's all about getting opportunities, but also like maintaining those opportunities because you have the chops to actually follow through. Um, so when we're talking about this idea of, of fit, we're talking about, you know, institutions that will give you a scaffold or a structure or a network or contacts or connections or what, whatever kind of terminology you want to do. It will help introduce you into those areas maybe a little faster or a little sooner um, uh, uh, than just if you were to do it cold. Um, and so fit works both ways. Uh, you, you look at the institution as at the same time that they're looking at you and determining your potential to succeed in that particular environment. And I was fortunate enough to have some really great teachers, quite honestly, by accident. I mean, I knew of them, but I had never taken, with the exception of, of remaining at Bowling Green to do my doctorate, um, I had not taken any lessons with any of the composition faculty for my undergraduate or master's. I had done the interview process, I had communicated with these people, but I didn't actually, you know, experience what it would be like to have a close one-on-one exchange with uh, with one of these people until I got there, which, which is slightly nerve-wracking, and it all turned out well in the end, because uh, I had absolutely no problems with uh, Carl Bolter, Donald Bolin, Michael Keane, Laney Lilios, or Marilyn Shrewd at all, so that was quite fortunate. And Burton Bierman, I forgot about Burton there. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll talk about name dropping. Boom. That was like I the fastest kind of group of name drops there. <clears throat> yeah. Also, a quick no, pause I, while we're paused here. Garrett, I saw you opened up a new beer. Are we still uh, sticking with oh. the IPA or what, <laughs> where are we going now? No, I'm, I'm about to open up a new one. Oh, nice. This, is, this, this has to be on the podcast, though. So oh, of course. Pick this up. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm on to beer number two. This is uh, from another... Boone NC uh, brewery that's called Lost Province, and this beer is called Hipster Juice. <laughs> it is a New England IPA, and I <laughs> I can't even. As a New Englander, I'm like, what? <laughs> unfortunately for the listeners, I I'm going to show the bearded man on the can to. That's pretty oh, good. That is yes, comrades. That is fantastic. Here. Oh, I'll take a picture and we can post it on Twitter. Oh or man, something. there's so many posts. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, um, going back, Andy, um, bad beer, Andy, I'm going back to what you said. I I think, I think that the, the concept of fit is so interesting because like when I think about it, when I think about the fit that worked, like the positive things that, that happened in my education, it was all about the community of the school and Mm -hmm. the place 
the place where it was. Yep. Like in my, and, and that's not really something I understood at the time. So I also consider myself really fortunate to have ended up in locations that fulfilled me a lot. And, and, and I, I've never, I maybe have discussed this with a student before, but it would be hard to talk about because to ask like a 22 year old or 21 year old junior in college who's going to apply for graduate programs, like what fulfills you? What kind of place is going to fulfill you? That's really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm 10 years older than that. And it's like, I'm only now realizing it. But, but fortunately, I ended up in locations where I was able to benefit even when I was not getting the kind of support I expected for, on the composition side because there were other parts of the university, other parts of the location, um, like the immediate surroundings that were giving me things that I needed that I didn't even know I would. Know that you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah no, I mean, I think that's, that's a huge, huge thing. And um, you're right about how a university fits in culturally um, is gigantic. Um, and especially it's just the emphasis on, you know, what maybe that student population looks like, but also what the communal aspect it looks like. Like I think about where you were in Ann Arbor. Um, and I, you know, I lived in central Michigan, which is like probably hour and 45, two hours from, from there. Um, two hours, two hours. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> he's got it timed. <laughs> so even though, you know, I never went to the university of Michigan, there's still also composers outside of the Michigan faculty that are there like Dave Hollanden who is living in Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. who's a fantastic percussion composer, uh, was someone who I, I found out was in the area, and I just sent him an email, and, uh, you know, I asked, can I come down and take a lesson? And he says, sure, you know, because he's home training his dog and, you know, writing all these amazing pieces. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, yeah, same thing. He <laughs> chose to live in that area because there's a thriving art scene and there's there's support that's that's around. And so... Like you said, even if you're not maybe getting it on a specific, you know, hour-long lesson or whatever, you can still uh, get a lot of artistic value uh, elsewhere on a day-to-day basis. Well, and I think it's good, like, we all share going to places that weren't standalone conservatories, and I think think that is a really good, that's something that I really enjoy. It fits me well, because there there are a lot of times when I don't want to have to think about music and so to be in an environment where like I could go talk to a poet or talk to an engineer or something like that when I was an undergrad or graduate student that was really nice and I think that a standalone conservatory I've heard can struggle to provide like other kinds of intellectual stimulation than just music Mm. and and so something I would definitely talk to a student about would be like you know if they really wanted to go to Juilliard, for example, I'd be mm-hmm. like, well, you know, you're you're at a school that has a lot of other things. How much do you inter- engage with that? How much does that fulfill you in different ways? Because it might be hard to find at Juilliard. It's probably a bad example because you could get all of that in New York City. But at another place, you know, like Shenandoah Conservatory, for example, which is in mm. the middle, of, in, in not exactly in the most robust location in Virginia, you know, you might not be able to get those other things. Um, but I just think it's, it's hard for, for undergraduate students to like be so self-aware, you know, we have the, 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 the wisdom of our years to reflect upon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All All the the pain of that reflection. (laughs) Well, and you know, the, the, the idea that it really, 
So uh, it all it all again goes back to the student. It depends on the student. It's like, is this a student who would thrive in the pursuit of uh, the single-minded pursuit of one thing? I mean that to be to be quite honest, that seems to be and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but that seems to be the conservatory model is this is a single-minded pursuit. This is a like like a, a bright laser beam focus on one thing and you will do that thing really well because you know what you already do it pretty well this is just that last little shine that will polish you up and then send you out into the world um of course the the echelon of gigs um for people that have that that specific training is very small and mm -hmm. very competitive yeah um yeah, Andrew, you look like you had a comment there. Well, yeah, Sorry. I was going to say, and actually this this moves away from composition majors, but I think there's a lot of uh, sure. music performance majors that fall into that category really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have a, a percussion performance background, um, but one thing I was always amazed with is I, I would go to school with people who are getting master's degrees and doctorates in, in percussion, um, but they don't play drum set. You know, and uh, what's crazy hmm. is like, hmm. and I, you know, I, t I talked, I work with a guy who, who plays with the National Symphony and uh, him and I both agree that 90% of the jobs that are out there are drum set gigs. But instead we've get all right. these people who are graduating with doctorates and essentially marimba performance and hyper specific. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, you can go to PASIC and you can play con variations and everyone's like, yeah, you played con variations. And, you know, the next person's like, yeah, I'm going to play con variations too. And, you know, it's like really, really narrow uh, and very, very specific. And, and so I think sometimes performers get in that or if they're like on the audition track, right? Like I'm going to be, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm talking in percussion terms specifically, but like I'm going to be the timpanist no, okay. for one of the Mm -hmm. you know, big 10 orchestras, uh, in the country. And that's great. And I, I know that like, that's important because somebody's going to land that gig. Um, but for me as, you know, as a composer, it was one of those things that, that immediately changed the trajectory of my degree, uh, selection, or at least my career selection, mm -hmm. because I didn't want it to fall into kind of a narrow path like that. And I think that sometimes that can happen in composition. And uh, I think sometimes composition programs, again, if, if you focus in on, I'm only going to do this one thing. And if that, you know, career field is narrower, uh, then it, it makes it really quite challenging. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, I do, I don't want to, I don't want to cast a, a shadow on any kind of educational path or, or any particular institution or any, uh, uh, style or aesthetic or anything Absolutely. but but if if we look at things like new complexity that that school of thought i mean that to me seems to be a very hyper focused kind of path or or even if you say i'm just going to do minimalism if, if anything that has the word just in it mm -hmm. <laughs> i think is is unfortunate mm -hmm. uh, well, i i had um some pretty tense lessons with a student last semester who's like is senior who's not certain if he's going to go to grad school but at the time was considering it and he's like all I want to do is write band music mm -hmm. mm. and I was like okay have you ever written anything for strings and he was like no and I was like you have to write a string quartet because I can't let you graduate never having written anything for strings and he was really like butthurt about it because he, he wanted to do <laughs> he wanted to do band music and, and and there's nothing wrong with band music but no it's, not at it's all. very hard like 
John Mackey, the most successful band, one of the most successful band composers, he didn't start writing band music. He wrote dance music and then somehow found his way into band. And you just can't control your path that way. Mm -hmm. You can't be like, I mean, some people can probably, but it's, but that's uh, but are they? Yeah, continue. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's <laughs> as me as a teacher, I can't have a student be like, this is what I'm, you know, I'm only going to focus on this one thing. Like, I'm a, I'm a very, um, like, I'm interested in a lot of different things. And so my pieces vary a lot. And so I think this kind of plays off of my own implicit, you know, preferences for how I do composition. But an under I can't let an undergrad graduate never having written anything for strings because if somebody's like oh can you do an arrangement for like I want you to do an arrangement for this community orchestra can I see something mm -hmm. you've done for strings and he's like I've never done that before then right. you don't then you don't get that opportunity so I feel like well-roundedness is important but that's just part of my ethos as a as an instructor generally and do you think that and continues so, into the graduate education or do you think that's that's like a foundational undergraduate kind of thing the Andrews are thinking alike yeah. that was yeah. literally going to come out of my mouth there, there we go well I think well I would say for a master's degree um, it is you I I try to recommend if 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 I have a student, and I've had this conversation with a student, if they want to get a master's degree and they want to write concert music, if they're not interested in doing film music or, or something more specific, if they're like, I just want to write concert music, I'm like, you got to find a place where you can get a lot of performances, where you can organize chamber performances, collaborate with soloists who are your friends and colleagues, but also if at best, you know, try to have some large ensemble opportunities because I think in a master's degree that kind of developing some expertise across a lot of areas of composition is still really important. And then in the doctorate, I think you can start to maybe be like, you know, for me, this doesn't resonate as much, so I'm going to focus on something that does resonate with me. Um, but this is also super true to my own experience, and I think it worked okay. I mean, I'm on this podcast, right? There you go. <laughs> Clearly, you've, you've made arrived. It. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, well, here's here's something fascinating, and and forgive me if I'm kind of derailing uh, uh, the trajectory of this particular conversation, but I I may have uh, uh, with the help of Mike. Yeah, I was going to say, is Mike lemonade. Mike chiming in yeah. on the podcast now? Um, the, here, here's, here's the, here's the flip side. Here's the devil being the advocate, so to speak, or the devil's advocate itself. Um, why get a, why get a higher ed degree in, in something like composition? I mean, clearly if you have a foundational musicianship, uh, background, you just, I mean, you write things and you get better by looking at other people who have written things and emulating and copying. Why, why not just go do it? and learn in the process. I, ha I have an answer to this, but this is what I get sometimes. What, you don't need higher ed degrees. Just go do it. Oh, okay. So I would say <laughs> for the ability to be in a structured environment where you can get performances and find people to play your music, mm. and then through that experiment in a low-stakes setting where oh. you can try something and if it doesn't work you know you haven't spent $500 hiring performers 
you haven't spent another $300 booking a venue. It's just all part of the way it goes. And I'll also add to this, whilst deferring student loans as well. (laughs) And so... (laughs) Right. Yeah. If, right. If, yeah. If you're if you're an undergraduate and you've uh, yeah had had that challenge, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, kind of piggybacking on that, I think it's yeah it's it's a, a wonderful uh, compositional laboratory, and I think the relational aspect that you're touching on is is a huge one, uh, because a lot of the people who I've met while doing my master's degree and are now scattered through the country and and now starting with my doctorate degree, I'm starting to see more and more, but I'm pretty recently out of the program. Um, or out doing things, and they were the first people who commissioned works. I mean, one of the pieces that I get played the most was from a friend that I wrote, well, uh, as a composer on res- in residence with her, uh, meaning I was crashing on her couch. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's one of those pieces that's kind of carried a little bit of weight, um, at least for me financially and, uh, and compositionally, and has helped my reputation. So, yeah, I think the relational aspect is, is really huge. Um, so touching on kind of what, um, bad beer, Andy. Sorry that you've taken that name forever. No, I mm. love it. This is I'm embracing. Wait, is Mike's this. a beer though? Does that count? Because I don't even know if we can even qualify Not at a beer. All. It's like just b- it's... bad booze, Andy. We'll we'll do that. Yeah. Yes. It's so far away, we don't even know what it is. <laughs> bad question there's, mark there's alcohol, alcohol beverage. In it, yeah, right? <laughs> there, there's something yeah. in there. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, to to kind of what Andrew was saying is like, is is that worth? Um, you know, going to a graduate degree. And I think that kind of goes back to Garrett. What you were saying is I, I actually firmly believe that you shouldn't in music composition, pay for a master's degree or a doctoral degree. I think, I think that's a really good way of, um, kind of checking and, and, and double checking and, uh, making sure that that's the right career path for you. I'm not saying that it's something that you should be discouraged or walk away from. I just think, um, you can find maybe that sort of community or that sort of sense of experience with people who maybe you graduate with your undergraduate with, or you get plugged into a scene or you go somewhere. Um, but I think uh, accruing student loan debt for a master's or a doctoral degree, you start kind of getting into some, some murky territory and some murky waters. And I'm going to use an analogy from something I told my therapist a few years ago to support that. Okay. Which I love was, it. we were, we were talking about jobs and, and I'm, you know, I'm still looking for like that permanent teaching position. That's a great fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like everyone I've applied to so many things and it's not worked Mm -hmm. out. Haven't even gotten it. And, and, and my, my, I was talking to my therapist about this and I was like, well, I think this means like wherever I do get a job, it'll be a good fit. And so what I would say to somebody, if they like can't find a program that's going to give them money or, accept them at all, when you find a program that does, it's because they really want you. And and if they're bought in on you, if they're investing in you because they're giving you a scholarship or something, that's great because you don't want to be an afterthought mm-hmm. at, right. the, at the place that you go. Yeah, no, you yeah, totally so. want them to put their logo on you. I was trying to come up with an analogy before this podcast, and the, the, the closest thing I could come in, into is like if you were buying a car, like the second you buy a new car, like when you drive it off the lot, it's kind of no longer going to appreciate from that, which is kind of the reality mm-hmm. in some ways of, of college educations, because more and more people are getting these degrees. There's more people that are flooding into that pool who are going to be, for lack of a better word, competing for potential positions against you. 
And so, like, sure, maybe you're you're financing your first car, and that's your undergraduate degree, and it's a nice car, and it's going to get you from point A to point B. And maybe the master's degree is, like, you want to buy a second car, but it's a little more specialized. Like, your family's growing, and you need a minivan, or you're working mm-hmm. on a farm, and you need a truck, you know? And it's like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess I can take on Big the payment of truck. a truck. It'd be really great if someone would give me a truck, like, I, I you know, if I had that. And then I feel like the doctorate is like a race car. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. you're like, this is really sweet. I got a race car, you know? And do you want to finance a race car? Like, am I going to pay three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars for a race car? <laughs> Especially because if you graduate and you have this race car, but then you have nowhere to drive it, you know? Um, yes. But a lot of times, mm-hmm. right, if, if you're going to a doctoral institution, they'll say, we're going to give you this race car. And we're going to slap our, our advertisement of our university on you. And we're going to give you the track to be able to ride on. Because that's the other thing, too, right? If you have a race yeah. car, but you're uh, driving it every day to, you know, down the street, or, or if you're, you're like, not really using it for its part. Just getting yeah, groceries. Yeah, just getting groceries in a race car. You're, like, not really doing that. And, and in many ways, you're like, wow, I could have done this grocery run in my undergraduate car, you know? Uh, yeah. And this, is, this is a developing metaphor, if you couldn't tell. No, this metaphor is fucking great. <laughs> I love it. I'm trying. So anyways, but you, but you see what I mean? Like the the point is like if if someone's willing to invest in that, it's great cuz race cars are are freaking awesome. Like they're amazing. Like I would love one or a Lamborghini or something like that. But that should be the value in your eyes of your education. Should be the value that somebody is investing in you and what you're doing and um I'm not saying it's it's one of those things where okay you didn't get a scholarship or you didn't apply to a program where you got a scholarship. I think Garrett, you're uh, you're not you know measuring up. You're not ready for a race car. I think what you're saying, mm-hmm. Garrett, though, about the fit is is huge um, because when you graduate and when you're looking to use your race car, uh, we're gonna call doctorates race cars from now on, I guess. Yeah, um, I love it. But anyways, when you're ready to it's use the only that car analogy I've gotten in my life, Andrew, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. I'm clearly a car guy. If you could, if you could, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyways, uh, but you know what I mean, right? Like that's that's the point. You want to have an institution that's willing to back you, and, I, and I'm grateful that George Mason for me has has taken me on um, and allowed me to continue working in a part time capacity while I work full time in a job that does pay a salary, uh, and you know is a composition based job, and I'm doing music as a living. Um, but yeah, I think you have to have that 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 balance, and you have to find the right fit in order for it to really work. Well, and I would say I love this analogy because I I have really strong feelings about getting a doctorate because I think that in addition to not paying, I think that you should do it if you want to teach. Yes. Because Mm, that's like its its ultimate utility is teaching. Mm -hmm. So you should go somewhere where you have an opportunity to teach so you can start getting those years of teaching experience. Experience. Like it's so great that I can say that I have seven years of collegiate teaching experience. Yes. Three of those were as a a graduate student, but, you know, that doesn't really make a difference. Um, And if you don't really care about that, I mean, I think that something the doctorate provides is time to like craft your voice and do experiments and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with it. And so if you don't really care about teaching, you could probably get 50% or 60% of a doctorate by not being in school, by having another job and then trying to create other situations. And those are skills. Those are really important skills too. Um, like for me, I'm I'm so 
glad that I had the teaching experience I got because my doctoral department never gave me a fellowship. Mm -hmm. And so I had to teach so much. But it was good. I like to teach. Um, but if... Mm. But I, I don't know, and, and also like teach, if you get a doctorate in composition, do as much music theory as you can because mm -hmm. that can only help um, being able to apply for comp theory jobs and that sort of thing, like it just makes it easier for you, so. Well, the, and there again, we're, we're talking about, uh, I, I really do feel gone are the days of, of really this hyper specialization. What, what was the quote that keeps getting kicked around? Specialization is for insects. <laughs> um, the idea that uh, uh, you should try and keep as many doors and as many avenues and as many options for your potential career path open as possible until you have to close a door. Because um, other, otherwise, if you shut all of those doors just automatically, that can be incredibly limiting. And I think that's when a lot of frustration happens mm -hmm. um, because you've, you've blocked off a lot of potential avenues that you did have uh, skills that could have been honed uh, to, to really put forth and, and into the world. Um, so this actually comes back a little bit to the idea of reputation because uh, so many people want to go... Uh, or, or in in the past, maybe it has been framed that you want to go to the top tier, the upper echelon. You want to, if you want to get a doctorate, you go to the the places that will give you the newest, best, right off the showroom. I have no idea. I don't do car analogies. It's no, that's good. Um, but but we we have that kind of uh, mantra that that gets told to us, at least as as I was going through and. As I, as I thought about that, I'm also thinking about, well, how, how do those institutions of higher learning get those reputations? And I, 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 we, can, we can have at this, but I think it comes down to... Do we know, have what... enough time to talk about that? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I've got 9.30. Yeah, we we've got, we've got some time. Although I will okay. say I'm about yeah. to open beer number two. This is a, cra okay. this is a craft it. beer from Milwaukee. Uh, it's a... Uh, ah! Oh, wait. it is a German beer, isn't Bud Budweiser. Isn't Budweiser made in St. Louis? It is. Oh, sorry, St. Louis. My bad. Missouri, Milwaukee. How, how, how many of you had? This is only number two, I promise, right now. Yeah. It is the king of beers, self-proclaimed. Um, but I will be opening right. it next to the microphone. Oh, so there good. There you go. Be beautiful. This is beautiful. The is this the broiest of your drinks that we've ever had? I am oh, wearing a Michigan man. shirt. Just saying. Hey, that's <laughs> fair. That's totally fair. Um, no, I mean, so wait, wait yeah, reputation, right? Yeah. So, so where does that come from? And and my my thing, and then then Garrett, you can have at it. The the idea here is that well, the reputation is built on the the people there, the prestige, quote-unquote, of the faculty, but also, like, where do people that have gone to that institution, where do they go, what do they do? Mm -hmm. mm. I, I agree more with the end. Well, I agree with you that insofar as I think what reputation should be is, like, mm. where, where the students go on to. Where do they go, what do they do? It's, a, like, it's really about the student, but... And the fit, yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, I wish that I, I don't regret anything about my choices, but I really wish 
that my doctoral program would have prepared me better for applying for jobs mm. and would have had a more active role in my application to jobs. Um, that is not the case. And I know that there are programs that are. And so I wish that we rated programs on that, like how they prepare students for the realities of the professional market. And if you're getting a doctoral degree, that means teaching in higher ed. So like helping you do that. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So of course, the the danger there marketing wise, and maybe this is me taking an institutional stance, but you know, the idea that as as Andrew mentioned, there's so many people now, like the the market is flooded with all the all the doctorates, the PhDs and the DMAs with all this musicological training uh and doctoral studies uh from from various places of, of uh uh reputation that, that just just completely boggles the imagination. Um and with the knowledge that the job market is so competitive, um, is it is it dangerous for those institutions to kind of say, "Here is the path, right? Here, here is here is the road, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the the procedure." That that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying maybe. Oh, like, good. <laughs> here's here's how to write a cover letter that's successful. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Here's how to write a CV that, like people will recognize as a CV. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get any of that. I didn't even get that simple stuff. And I think it's kind of negligent for a program to have doctoral students and like not even be like, here's, here's how you like fill out a job application for a teaching job. You know what's interesting about that? Um, so, you know, my doctorate's from George Mason, um, which is not nearly at the tier. Uh, I mean, it's... It, it has faculty from, uh, you know, say like a Michigan or a Rice or, or a Yale mm-hmm. or some of the bigger things. But, I mean, it'll be the first to say that the doctoral pin- program is really still kind of in its infancy. I mean, the doctoral program has existed, I think, even less than a decade. It's, it's still really new. And the university itself is only... Well, they're doing a good job if they have students like oh, you, Andrew. well. So. Ta-da! Tell that to my advisors. <laughs> no, um, but... This is branded. <laughs> this is branded content right. for the adjective new music <laughs> that's, composers that's collective. That's <laughs> right. And and to give the doctoral program, you know, the benefit of the doubt, the university itself is less than fifty years old as well. So it's th- there isn't right. as much. Oh. Yeah, George Mason came as a. Uh, it was a transplant from the University of Virginia. It was University of Virginia Northern Campus uh, when it came out, and they wanted to have closer proximity to D.C., which our campus is located ten miles from the capital. Uh, so, anyways. Long story short, um, because it's still in its um, in, in in discovering itself, um, with that, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm I, we've we've had so many sidetrack conversations. I'm trying to like <laughs> restitch the we're things. Dri- we're drifting. We're dri- I love it. yeah 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 yeah. Because um, <laughs> uh, Andrew, I'm sorry. Remind me what you were just saying. We'll edit this out hopefully later on. <laughs> um. Uh. The. Oh, I was talking about preparing people yes. or, or showing okay. people the Sorry. path, yes. right? Okay, so talking about preparing, this is the drinks happening right here. Uh, no, but uh, the preparing <laughs> uh, students is at George Mason because many of the faculty members want to end up ultimately, uh, it, like it's a very transient faculty population. A lot of people come in uh, and I they see. come out, yeah. um, at least in terms of full-time faculty. Like it's not, it's not the landing position. For some people it is, um, and I'm very grateful mm-hmm. because – 
honestly, the people who have stayed at George Mason are the reason why the program is growing like the way it is. Like our school of music director, Dr. Linda Apple Monson, uh, has been there for years and years, and she has done amazing work at building the program. And the university owes her a great institutional debt. history, yeah, right? The university yeah. seriously owes her a great debt because of that. Um, and uh, so, but uh, with faculty coming in and out, that's helped actually us prepare these materials because they're also actively mm. applying for jobs, which that's one thing to consider as well. Huh. Uh, in, huh. And so that's something that came up uh, in my composition lessons. Um, we actually had, you had to apply for it, um, but there was a one credit course over, offered at George Mason called uh, Careers in the Academy. And it was an elective course that you could take <laughs> as a doctoral student in your last year. And it was fully, if you applied for it and you got accepted, you were fully funded. They took 25, 30 students, and it was focused strictly on exactly that, writing your CV, writing your cover letter, and applying for that, uh, the, and applying for positions. It's a hugely helpful thing. I, I think that's awesome, and I wish every doctoral program had something like that. I know, I know at Rice, they have a faculty member who, like, doesn't teach and all they do is help doctoral students like put together their materials and like all of that oh, sort wow. of thing. Oh, wow. Like and a dead, like a dedicated yeah. position that does. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. A, that's and I think maybe, maybe they do teach, but they, they don't teach as, as a full faculty member because administratively they're doing that. And I, I think it's important mm-hmm. for a doctoral program to recognize obviously the labor market for, academic work is shitty shifting yeah that's yeah. what i said yeah. no yeah. no it's it's not it's not it's not awesome <laughs> and and i don't think it's it's school's responsibilities to guarantee you get a job at all but to prepare in some way to because you know if if a student doesn't get that kind of preparation and then is trying to compete against people who went to george mason and had a whole course on it like it's not an even playing field. So I feel like that, and, and that's something, that's a question that I, if I had a student applying for a doctoral program, I would be like, you in your interview, you got to ask them, like, how are you going to help me do this? Because, you know, I might want to get a faculty position someday. How are you going to prepare me for that? And the questions that, you know, are more commonly asked are like, how are you going to help me like win an orchestra reading competition or something like that, which is not invaluable because mm-hmm. people who do well at those things, that's a great thing to put on your resume when you're applying for a teaching job. But it, that's, that's kind of the same as somebody going to the conservatory and being hyper-focused, like what we were talking about before. Like if we're all trying to do an end around on getting composition faculty positions by winning orchestra competitions, then we're all trying to game the system in the same way. And then it makes it even more competitive. So, Well, and it, it's interesting in that regard to think about uh, uh, the, the equal playing field that just got brought up, like, like, like the level playing field of what these, these places offer. And it kind of goes back to that, that situation of, well, what is, what is this institution really about? Well, like, what are what are they training you for? And it's interesting to to hear, you know, school X maybe doesn't have certain types of of um, things that might be attractive to to a certain type of student. However, they're balancing that out with 
other things mm. that they do incredibly well. And then, so it really becomes, it really becomes uh, paramount for any student who's looking to do continuing education at the post-undergrad level, at the graduate yeah. level, to research the hell out of every place mm-hmm. and, and, not, and, not ju- and not just apply to, like, a handful of things. Like, research 10, 15 places and a variety of them and probably apply to seven. I don't know. How many, how many places did we all apply to? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know I applied for my master's degree to only three, uh, so really limited, and then okay. my doctorate was five. Uh, what was yours, Garrett? Mm-hmm. I applied to, I think, like 10 master's programs, mm-hmm. but only f- five or six doctoral programs. I applied to close to 20 undergraduate programs mm-hmm. <laughs> because my yeah. I, was, I was the first in my family to go to music school, and my parents were like, there's no... They, they didn't not believe in me, but they didn't understand. And they're like, you have to apply to as many places as possible. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, uh, oh, Andy, uh, bad beer, Andy, what about you? So, so I applied to six places at the undergraduate level, five places at the master's level. And I'm always the person who says, don't do what I did for the, the doctoral application. I applied to one place for for the DNA. Oh, nice. Oh, and I forgot to offer my undergraduate, which allows me to jump in and tell my favorite undergraduate application story that's super quick. <laughs> I love it. So I, oh. so I applied to four, <laughs> and uh, and actually, Garrett, this is also a really good uh, adjective team-building exercises, because my parents also came <laughs> from a non-music background, and so I applied uh, to four schools, and I was accepted at all except for one, which was the Hart School of Music at the University of Connecticut. Oh, wow. And when I went down there, I got, I was, you know, auditioning as a percussionist for music education and we went and saw their contemporary music ensemble performance. And my dad to this day, anytime he hears any sort of music, he references this concert because there was some poem (laughs) that was set to like a percussion background. And it was like, I like trees. And you'd hear click, 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 click on the rim of the snare drum. I like trees. And it continued basically with that sort of level of development for about 25 minutes. And I kid you not, my father looks at me and he goes, you're not going to school here. And it was perfect. You were like, but... Oh. You were like, but dad, I love but it da- so much. But dad, I want to be that snare drummer. I do like I trees. I do like trees. So yeah, anytime he hears anything that's like remotely aleatoric or atonal or anything, he goes, I like trees. It's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That, um, is, that is a good story. I, I think it's important to note that like applying to schools is not free a lot of the time. Yeah, that is no. true. And it's getting more and more expensive <laughs> and as the tuition rates increase like yeah. I think the national sorry, I looked this up earlier. The national average is between uh, 6 and 8% a year is the tuition rate uh is what's what's happening specifically at state schools. Privates is a little bit more fluctuating mm-hmm. and and uh but state schools yeah. Uh, that seems to be the average. So I'm sure there's some sort of factor that also mirrors that with uh, application fees as well. It, it, I, and as a as a composition teacher, it's hard to be like to a student, you know, like you need to 
it's best if you apply it to as many places as possible and you're kind Cast of a wide you're, net and yeah. you're signing you're signing them up to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on application fees although i i do think like it's good to apply to a couple reaches and a couple places you feel comfortable at and then maybe like a couple that you maybe think are a safety of some kind like try to applying to one is a really bold move Bull, mm-hmm. thank you for that. That's a very that's that's very um, this is very courteous of you. <laughs> but I bold um, move. <laughs> but I, I I do think if it's possible to apply to many and then um, you know whatever's within your reach in terms of the application fees, it's important to to recognize that just like when my students spend hundreds of dollars on their textbooks, I don't want them to feel like they wasted their money either. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and, and so I, I should probably preface that I, um, sp- speaking of, of hyper-focused, uh, I only applied to one doctoral school because at the time there were only three places in the country where you could get a doctorate in contemporary music. And it's something I didn't, I don't have a terminal degree in composition. Technically, mm-hmm. my my terminal degree is a DMA in contemporary music, specifically music since 1945. Um, if we get like really, really specific, so a right? lot of Beatles songs and <laughs> all of hey the Beatles, Jews. Pink Floyd, yeah. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing that I liked about I, I, so the three pro, I think there was uh, what was it the. Um, uh, Cornell had a program, and Bowling mm-hmm. Green has a program, and there's a program out on the West Coast, and and the the three of them have similarity. Like there's a Venn diagram there. There's some overlap, but at the same time, they're all very different. And I didn't want to be another person with a DMA in composition. Ouch! I felt that I uh, no. I just, shots fired. Hey, this. Now I love. Oh man, I love what's happening right now. This is so good. Uh, the idea, the idea there though, is that uh, some, some. I, I know that I'm probably immediately booted out of some first rounds of application uh-huh. just because, especially like if there's an HR kind of bot looking at all of the boxes that are checked, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so I went in like fully aware that this is going to make me look different. Yeah. For better or worse. Well, I think even having a DMA can do that as opposed yeah, to a PhD. Yeah, for sure. As opposed Especially to a PhD. Especially on the theory yeah. job side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know that we're, as, as we continue, I, I had a thought, like, since ostensibly our conversation is, like, directed at what would we tell students. Yes. I have, I have, I have a, a pair of questions for both of okay. you. Okay. One is, like, what is the most important thing about getting a master's degree in composition that you would tell a student? Like, what you think the number one thing they should look for is, and the same goes for a doctoral program. Based on your experience, based on your personal feelings, if you want, I can can lead off with the master's program while you think about for that. For sure, yeah. So I would say getting performances that are going to be high quality so you have recordings 
that are high quality. Mm. Yeah. Because I feel like no matter what you end up doing, if you take time off and try to get performances and other gigs that way, or if you're applying for a doctoral program, you need to have a portfolio of pieces that are performed well, well enough, and hopefully many pieces. And, and, and so I feel like a master's program should be like a little bit of a, of a factory for performance opportunities and thus recording opportunities with other students, ideally. Yeah, I think, uh, not, not to seem like I'm copying your answer, but I think that is quite important because many people use the master's degree as a stepping stone to the doctorate. And those who don't use it as a stepping stone to the doctorate now have a network of performers who maybe they've built really good relationships with, and now they're kind of ready to go out into, quote unquote, the real world and utilize these connections to get more connections and to and to further their kind of spheres of influence yeah and i think um the biggest thing i would say i think it's most important from the undergraduate to a master's uh level is to go into a new environment um to not to Mm. not stay Mm. really good to not stay in the same environment that you are um and that i think includes institution to institution but also region to region I think that's one thing that I really greatly mm. benefited moving from the New England area uh, to the Midwest. Uh, and I think that was one thing that um, I picked up a lot on culturally, but also just the way people look at what music is. Like I went from the Northeast where people was like, you know, I'll do my bad Bostonian, but they're like, who freaking cares? You know, <laughs> come on, kid. <laughs> What's this all about, kid? You know, a little, a little- it, a little yeah, more direct. exactly. A little to more the Midwest direct. where it's like, oh, well, that's really sweet. And then I go to the South and it's like, oh, bless your heart. You know, it's basically, I've learned, <laughs> I've learned like the, the niceties <laughs> of whatever each of these countries, you know, areas of our country would, would say about your composition. Um, but I do think it's very important at that, uh, that moment where if some people who go to college and, you know, adolescence, which is kind of a term that comes, you know, primarily with the last generation, um, I think to break from that is also indicative of what happens with your compositional voice. I think just simply moving somewhere and being culturally immersed in a new area, especially if you know, you're know you influenced by your surroundings and your composition, just being in a new area is a big, big difference. I think that's less important for master's to doctorate, especially if you find a program that really clicks. Um, but I, but mm, I think yes. um, from undergraduate to master's level and beyond it's a really really big important to make that switch i i really like that point and i'm really glad that you made it because i think i mean all of us did that in our education we actually all went to the midwest at some point which is interesting we did and i'm glad Um, i left no i'm just kidding no i'm not kidding (laughs) kind of kidding more shots that's my shot back Uh, there you go well i mean you were in Mount Pleasant, so I understand that why makes you feel sense. That way. <laughs> Mount Pleasant, where there is no mountain. Hey, there's yeah. there's great pie. There's no there, mountain, though. but there's yeah. a casino. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I I do think it's really useful to experience different communities and localities and try to do composition in that because ultimately, in my experience, like composition is sort of a local thing. We all want to be performed yeah. all over mm-hmm. the country, but 
we depend on the people who are immediately around us. Yes. And, and so if you can be in different environments, like I went from the Houston is like the fourth largest city in the United States to a big college town. Um, and that was a great experience to be able to, to see in addition, different parts of the country, but also like different places. And I think that that is a really important thing that maybe isn't always considered when you're, you know, people are consider looking at faculty and other things. You know, I didn't bring that up, and and Bad Beer Andy didn't bring that up. So I'm really glad you said that, Andrew. So to the to the doctoral level now is that uh-huh. is that next on the agenda? Because uh, I I think at this level, my original answer was going to be like the the the, the mentor, the person, the person that you are studying with. But I think that kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of finding either the person or people or institution that is going to push you into the field, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the place that is going to not just give you skills and tools and, and, and uh, uh, a heads up as to what the field is about, but the places that are actually going to throw you into the deep end of the pool, and you will be teaching, you will give these papers, you will get these performances outside of Mm -hmm. this place. Uh, So, you know, maybe in the master's degree, you went to a different place, but now in the doctorate, you're at a place where your music goes places without you. Yeah, and jumping on that, um, you you nailed it, and you stole my thunder a little bit, but I was going to say the same thing. I love it. (laughs) You need your bishop. I mean, that's it. Uh, At at the doctoral level, you need the person who's going to... um, say this is the especially if you're on a scholarship you're they're gonna say this is this is the reason Mm -hmm. why i brought this person here and um and they're gonna be like that really good coach um that's gonna be honest with you in closed quarters but defend you in the public eye and that's 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 what you need you need someone who's willing to do that and i think um for me at least in my experience um the where letters of recommendation are key, where um, people who are willing to defend you are key, who know you, who are willing to accept the invite to your wedding, who are uh, curious about your child. Whoa. You know what I mean? No, but it, it's it's it's, nice, it's a nice. it's a lifelong you know partnership that you're developing. I'm fortunate, yeah. you know, I have that relationship with a lot of my undergraduate teachers, Mike. This guy, Michael Inakirko, who was amazing and, and really shaped me as a comp- composition teacher and, um, uh, and a composer and, you know, and th- that sort of thing. And I, I've based a lot of, you know, what I've done uh, and I owe a lot of gratitude to the people who have uh, just been comfortable with me, uh, you know, being in relationship with them conversationally, with friendship, with highs and lows, celebrating victories uh, it helps that I'm a performer, so playing their pieces, blah blah blah. Um, but but that sort of thing. But especially at the doctoral level, if you haven't found that yet, uh, it's it's essential that you have that because they're going to be the people that help you uh, take what you're doing um, in maybe your student life and help you apply it in a way that will allow you to uh, successfully provide for yourself or a family or whatever uh, once you graduate. Yeah, I love all of that. I think, um, Andrew, you and I are going to flip a little bit on this one to the masters. I'm going to say be as a, 
be be a doctoral student at a place that will let you try things. Yes. Because mm. I think it's the last really safe environment with no stakes attached to it where you can just do things. You don't have to worry about... It's the bachelor party, right? Getting... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean... I'm sorry. Just, yeah, that was not no, my not my bachelor like party. Because... I, no, no but for some. me neither. But... I, I suppose so. Come on, we're we're over drinks. We that, gotta have the edginess to the podcast. Yeah, I no, guess, I right? know. Yeah. I mean, this is the the broiest episode of over drinks ever. Sponsored by Budweiser <laughs> no, and Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yes, sponsored by Budweiser and Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think it's it it's po- totally possible to try when you're not a student anymore. But it's a lot harder, and I think you need to be at a place that's going to let you embrace trying things because it's. When you're no longer a student, it's a lot harder to do. Oh, yeah, that. no, totally. Um, and ideally, like, the things in my doctorate, the things I benefited the most from were not related to music composition, like people who were creating in other disciplines. Like, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's kind of that, that chance to, you know, grow and find your voice and all of that, but we're always constantly doing it. But also to enjoy that institutional environment in a way that's really that's a lot harder to do as a faculty member or if you're not associated with a university you just don't have that you have to create that out of whole cloth I of was your community say you have to create that yeah. opportunity and yeah. and so it's good to to experience all of those things so that if you aren't at an institution and you're just in a place you can be like you know what are the things that I need that, to replicate here and and how can I do that so mm-hmm. I, that's what I would say. Yeah, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, you know, now that my primary job is working for, as a church composer, I will say that there are certain limitations that kind of come with the the gig because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I could try – and, you know, I've done some pretty out-there stuff with them in terms of, like, presenting pieces of music as solely unpitched percussion and those sorts of things. But it has to be contextualized. Whereas I think in a university, you don't have to contextualize it as much as you would if you were, say, depending on patrons to uh, continue your craft and to continue your art. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. In terms of the doctorate, that's where um, you can get away with you know writing something that's uh, both in your comfort zone or completely out of it and have people maybe not appreciate it, but you're not going to suffer any sort of consequences because of it i would say like one way to think about it is to sort of probe your boundaries creatively and like know like these are the sort of parameters of what i know how to express so that if you get an opportunity you're like i can do that or if you're like i've never done this before but it relates to something i've done Mm -hmm you can have more confidence to it because I'm, I'm sure it's totally possible to gain that experience in a non-institutional setting. Um, but I imagine it's a, it's a little bit more difficult. Although I don't know, none of us, we we're not having this conversation with someone who didn't go to grad school. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, and therein, yeah, therein lies an interesting thing where all of us went directly. There were no, where there were no gaps. Right. Um, and, 
It is not the only option. I mean, some people actually do. I, I don't. I hesitate to say thrive. That that gives too much of a, a kind of connotation of of success or, or or betterment or what have you. But there are some people that need that experience, that actual practical experience. They they need to kind of be forged in the crucible yeah. of life, so to speak. Right. And maybe. Yeah. And and. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no I think you're. I think you're no, finishing no, my no. thought. No, no, no. I probably am not because I'm. I'm leading into an uh, the maybe what would be a closing question if I'm looking at my time correctly. Oh, I love it. No, this is good. This so is good. So my my cl- my question that I would love to ask, and and I think I introduced it at the beginning, um, is if you were to do it all over again, would you do it the same way, or if you could change one thing about it, or two things, or a million things about it? Maybe not a million, just because we're on a tight timeline. Uh, <laughs> You know, <laughs> what what would you do differently? Or, you know, if, if you were in the shoes of your students, what, what would be the way that you would approach this? I have no regrets. <laughs> Everybody just we've, missed that. We've, we've, lo- we've lost a member. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me? So, yeah. So yeah, it's now you. very obvious that my condenser mic was... Uh, hanging on by a thread on an ottoman <laughs> and it collapsed right at the time when we should be winding down this podcast. It was literally the greatest thing ever. It's even better on visual. Uh, hold on. Somebody screenshot this cause this is good. Okay. This is, this is I got all right. It. Yeah. This is, this is just glorious right here. Professionalism at its highest level. That's right. That's right. What, what's nice though, is that there is a big pause and before and I started talking, so, <laughs> I like so trees. we could we could just we could probably just pick this up if you want. No, no, you, you're you're all think I'm editing that out. No, that's, I love the candid. That's my call. I told you it's, it was my no. I like trees moment. This is uh, I'm still doing my doctorate, so I'm gonna experiment with contemporary microphone falling. That's my that's my plan. It's a percussion piece. It's the piece. only instrument left to express. On that's right. <laughs> Uh, I guess palindrome well, music already what, have or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah. Pen, pendulum, yeah pendulum music. Pendulum music. Pendulum music yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. What I was going to say before, Andrew got tired of not being the center of attention yeah. and knocked his microphone over. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. No, it was so um, good. I, I really have no regrets about my education because I'm I'm really, like fulfilled by who I am artistically at this point and my worldview and I don't feel like I could have gotten there any other way that doesn't mean that it was perfect and so I think it's I think what I would pass on to my students is that don't expect perfection because it's not going to happen but I think you can still be very fulfilled at the end of it Mm -hmm. um, because that's how I feel so for me um I would have to say, if I were to do it again, I wouldn't take everything so seriously. Um, now that 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 could be kind of a loaded statement, just just off the cuff. But uh, maybe I can qualify it by saying, when I was studying for my qualifying exams, I think I lost like thirty pounds, twenty twenty five or thirty pounds. How is that possible? And you still fit Anxiety. in the same suit? How did you do that? <laughs> Wait, was the suit well, a really big a lot suit back, to begin with, or did you? <laughs> I need, we need to see this suit. We, we need a chronology. 
I seriously think we need like someone um, uh, to to write a serious book about you know what happened in your life in the suit. We'll get Taruskin on it or something like that. Yeah, we'll Taruskin, get Taruskin. Yeah, I'm sure. He's not I'm busy sure that'll or be the next the next yeah. go to for him. Or uh, or Alex Ross. Yeah, Alex possibly. Ross. I'm sure that would that would be great. Um, but no, the the idea that I uh, and I think everyone, everyone like you, you truly make your studies as difficult or as easy as they're going to be. I mean, the the student really has the control in that area, and I think I made my comprehensive exams way harder than they needed to be. Um, I was quite prepared for them, and. That was nice, but in the at the end of the day, I think I would have looked back on it and realized that there there are while there are serious things, there nothing in life is so serious. Mm-hmm. That's good. I don't no, know. Is it? No, it is. No, it's really good. Um, it's funny because like just like a sweet quick caveat i'm like man i wish i took my comprehensive exams as seriously as andrew did and uh <laughs> it was no it was that's, bad. that's <laughs> i mean it was great but it was amazing. bad <laughs> i think about my gre uh kind of in the same way too like i i, I was in a bar right. band in my undergraduate uh we were, we were called the dino monkeys which is a really you know high class name we were named after a sci-fi planet show and we had we had uh we had played a concert uh at University of Massachusetts Dartmouth and we stayed overnight at the rugby team's house and they said they would I'm sure there was no drinking no there was very little very little drinking with those rugby teams I saw a guy drink a beer out of a boot but anyways uh, they said they would provide accommodations uh, for the band which meant I slept on a concrete floor uh, with a guy's dirty towel as a blanket and then the next day after not sleeping I drove up and took the GRE, <laughs> and that was the score that I submitted to my higher ed institutions. So yeah, Andrew, you're See, an American I mean, hero. I'm a, a gigantic failure. That I mean, that's a that's a that's a life that's a crucible of life moment right there. I mean, you you were that's like Spartan training I, for the GRE. <laughs> I will also say that I slept like two hours before I took okay. the GRE because of anxiety. So. <laughs> you know. So you guys had like totally like reasonable excuses for this. I just had negligence. I mean, that was the only thing that surrounded mine. Uh, I, I don't know if insomnia is a reasonable excuse, but that's okay. It's okay. okay. So. But again, when you're 21, yeah. 22 years old, like, you know, what's to be expected? Yeah. Um, so then when thinking about the doctorate, um, aside from taking it seriously to like Andrew level seriously, which. You know, I took it really seriously. When once I I really hit college, um, my senior year, and uh, when I was focused in what I wanted to do, which was be a composer and a music teacher, I took that very very seriously. Um, but at the doctoral level, I, I mean, I'm really grateful I went through um, as quick as I can. I think it'd be harder now. I have a two year old and a wife, and um, it'd be harder. I have a friend who's trying to finish his master's degree right now, and he has three kids. And um, he's expecting his fourth in a couple of weeks. And it's really, really hard. Yeah, wow. it's really hard. Mm. Um, and so I think in terms of 
if you want to get education out of the way before life and family and all those sorts of things kick in. And I know that's not for everybody, but if that is a priority for you, getting it out of the way at the front end is great um, because then you have more space for um, everything else. But I do say, I, I do think that if you take gaps or breaks in between things, like uh, a gap between high school and college or college and master's or master's and doctorate or whatever the order you go in, um, you're not, you never stop learning, and I think that's a, a concept that we all understand and get. That's that's yeah, key. You know, yeah, and um, especially yeah. if you're still working in music, or even if you're not working in music, you're you're learning about people, no matter what job you're in. And ultimately, for me, <laughs> in my composition, people matter, uh, and, and I think mm-hmm. that the more you can kind of dive into that and figure out when you're ready to invest the time into really for me it was it was kind of like I, I need this for myself <laughs> and I needed a lot of that for myself uh, in terms of my higher education uh, and that was the point where I really valued it the most and so if I were to tell my students you know figure out what your priorities are does this fit into that is it going to provide for a family do you want a family do you not those sorts of things and then go from there and see if that applies yeah, I think that goes back, like, have have a plan and know that the plan is there to reference, to dialogue against. It can oh, change. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, Andrew, you made a point that I, I've thought of making many times during our conversation, so I'm so glad you did, which is that there's nothing wrong with taking time off. And I know a lot of people who have, and, ha- and that's been exactly what they've needed to do. And I think that if, you know, you can't, I, I have a colleague, Spencer Arias, who um, applied to doctoral programs for like two or three years to find one that would give him funding that, that really wanted him. And he finally ended up at a place that he really loves at Michigan State University. Um, and I think that there's nothing wrong with doing you know, taking that path. Like, there's there's no hard benefit of going all the way through, you know, if you ha- if, if take... Yeah, in itself, no. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. So, so there's nothing wrong with, you know, trying to fit it to your life and, and, and all of that. So I'm glad that you made that point. Well, gentlemen, I think we've clearly solved all the world Nailed problems. Nailed we we have we have concrete uh, pearls of wisdom that we can take back to our. Sp- Actually, no. In all seriousness, there's a lot of stuff from this conversation that I'm gonna kind of kind of reflect on. And and the next time I have a student who asks me this question, I think I'll be I'll be thinking of, well, I'll be thinking of many things related to this conversation. Uh, but a number of the the pearls of wisdom will definitely flood to the surface. I feel. Yeah, I um thank you so much for letting me join in on this and and Andrew, you're the reason that we had this topic. So thanks for uh suggesting it. Well, yeah, so I just cool, want to thank our corporate sponsors Mike's Hard Lemonade and Budweiser Budweiser beer <laughs> for this wonderful conversation and uh for the pain that oh. Andrew uh bad beer Andy, bad beverage Andy is going to suffer later on tonight because of it.
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.